The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Let's pray together. So, Father, we confess that we have all taken our eyes off of you during these seasons. And we're asking you to come now through your word, by your spirit, and put our eyes on Jesus. Help us see him and love him and worship him with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. We pray all this in his name. Amen. Well, I will just confess that after three months of being told to stare into a camera, I have no idea where to look. So I'm going to I'm going to try to learn to look at all of you again. It's good to be with you. It's good to be in this place. It's not yet what we hope it will be, but it is good to be together. We're, we're living in this time where uh, nothing is normal, and when, when nothing is normal, everything feels unsure or uncertain. And the, and the longer the, the not normal goes on, it's not like all of a sudden, oh, I'm used to it not being normal. It just feels more unsettling. We, we see more and more of the, the unsettledness of our hearts come to the surface. Today is Father's Day, and I know as a dad I've felt this, this burden, this unusual burden to try to shape the hearts of my kids in this season, to try to shape the hearts of my kids as we live in a pandemic with fear and frustration that I never really experienced as a kid. There's no, there's no class that keeps saying I'm pastoring in a pandemic or being a dad in a pandemic or a husband in a pandemic. They don't give you a class in that. They've heard of horrible killings of injustice. They've seen uh, pictures of a, a city on fire. And, and as a dad and just as people, we look around and we process, and what I'm convinced of is that what a lot of us are doing is just that there's a lot of information to take in and a lot of opinions to sift through, and there's a lot of unsettledness in our hearts, and so we don't know what to do. We get to this place of kind of anger or frustration, or maybe you're just kind of paralyzed. But one of the things, I think one of the, the hidden mercies at least in our family, is what we've tried to do as a family in this season is feel that this place is not our home and this place is not our hope. Like if you're not getting that by now, then you're missing at least one of the things that the Lord's been trying to do. One of the things He's been trying to teach is this place is not our home and this place is not our hope. And that's why First Peter has kind of been our, our choice as a church to go to because that's exactly what we've seen. So review with me where we've been after a three-week break. We've seen that we're elect exiles. We are sojourners in a foreign land. We were foreknown before the foundation of the world, set apart as a people by the Holy Spirit, purchased by the blood of Jesus for obedience to Jesus. We have a living hope. So if your hope has felt shaky during these circumstances, 1 Peter is for you to say, set your hearts on a, a living hope. 
that is unshakable because Jesus is alive and has promised his people an imperishable, undefiled, and unfading inheritance so that we can be a people rejoicing with joy, inexpressible, and filled with glory because we know the privilege of our salvation. It's kind of a summary of verses 1 to 12. I cannot imagine more tailor-made passages for the times we're in. It's like the Bible is relevant for these seasons that we live in. But we can all admit, so we hear all those promises, and we, we read all those promises, and I'm also not, not stupid enough to think that all of the problems are a pandemic, or all of the problems are injustice, like, like cancer is still happening, and people are still losing loved ones, and relationships are still broken and sin is still festering. And so we can all admit, in the midst of all of that, that we haven't exactly felt every moment like our hope is unshakable. Anyone here felt shaky? Raise your hands. You can raise your hands at home too. So, yeah, felt, you felt shaky. Like this should just, just take a deep breath. Like everyone's felt shaky in this time in one way or another. Uh, it hasn't exactly been inexpressible joy, has it? I've, I've had interactions with enough of you to know that not everyone's feeling just inexpressible joy about everything that's going on. Anyone felt some fear in this room at different times? Maybe some of you have just felt more frustration at different times. Anyone found yourself a little bit more focused on the present circumstances than the future glorious inheritance? Anyone found yourself obsessed with the news, the bad news on the TV and on social media, not the good news of salvation? Anyone been more frustrated by some privileges that have gone away than rejoicing in the privilege of salvation that can never be taken away? Anyone have any of those things? That's just where we are. Pastor David has had those things. Thank God I'm not the only one. All of us all of us, because here's what's happening in those moments. This is not a moment of condemnation, but it's a diagnosis. What's happening in those moments is we've forgotten who we are and what is most real. We've forgotten who we are and what is most real. Remember, Peter was writing to a people enduring persecution that knew more horrible persecution was coming soon. Like If you're not a fan right now of the government in every way, Think about having Nero as your emperor. Think about what that would have been like. Think about the oncoming persecution. We all know what it's like to anticipate upcoming sadness or suffering, and I don't think there's anything more distracting or thought-consuming than the anticipation of bad things coming. And that's where we've been living for three, four months. The anticipation of, of lost dreams and lost experiences, and lost loved ones, and lost jobs, and lost everything, just anticipating what's going to happen next, right? 2020 is not quite halfway done yet, and it's been a year. Maybe some of you are there right now. And verses 1 to 12 were meant to tell us and these people who they were, then what we've seen in verses 13 and then all the way through chapter 2, verse 3 today, are commands meant to help us live in the step with the reality of who we are. So verses 1 to 12, here's who you are. 
Here are the promises that are available to you. Chapter 1, verse 13, and chapter 2, verse 3. Man, now I'm going to give you some commands to help you walk in that, to help you remember who you are. In other words, as the exiles that often have hope somewhere else, the commands of Christ are meant to lead us into the life of Christ. The commands of Christ are meant to shape us and conform us into the image of Christ as children of God in the midst of a broken place. And we've already seen four of these commands before today. And I want to remind you what they are. Number one, we saw in verse 13, hope fully on Jesus Christ to help us not have shaky hopes here. Number two, we saw be holy as your Father is holy to help us remember who we belong to. Number three, we saw fear your Father to help us remember He loves us enough to discipline us. He's watching us. He's with us. Number four, we saw love one another to help us remember our basic primary calling in this family. And today, the fifth command of this section to help us become who we are is a command to long for the pure spiritual milk. It's a command of our hearts. It's a command to desire. We're commanded to long, to want after something. So what I want to do today is, number one, look at our new taste buds in verse 3. Number two, look at our new longings in verse 2. And then we'll close by looking at these things we're supposed to put off in our application so number one, we have new taste buds, and taste buds. And the reason I want to do this and look at the passage this way is I want to unpack for you how this process actually works itself out in our souls. Like how is this actually going to work in your experience? The Bible helps us. And that means we start in verse 3 and work our way backwards because verse 3 is where we see the soil that the obedience to this command will grow from. In other words, if verse 3 isn't true of you, you can't obey verse 2. And Peter wants us to see that, and he wants us to sit in that and understand that. So what does verse 3 say? It says, If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So Peter is going to command them to long for pure spiritual milk. But he's doing that because he believes that they've already tasted the goodness of the Lord. We should pause here and realize that that's no small thing, especially in light of what we're going to see in the rest of the book of Peter. Peter will remind us in just a few verses that many people reject Jesus. They don't taste that he's good. They despise him. They reject him. Jesus is not beautiful to most, but boring to most. Jesus is not Savior to most, but stumbling block to most. So how have some tasted that the Lord is good? And we can answer from what we've already seen in 1 Peter. We've been foreknown before the foundation of the world, which really means foreloved. It means God knew us and loved us before the foundation of the world. Then we've been set apart by the Holy Spirit, we've been sprinkled with the blood of Jesus. Or we could see that we've been born again to a living hope so that we can rejoice in Jesus. Now, new taste buds to rejoice in Jesus and not rejoice in the things of this world. 
Or we could go just a few verses back and we could see that we've been born again to a living hope by the living and abiding Word of God. So there's all these facets of this diamond that are really just telling us that it's a miracle. It's a miracle of grace. A miracle of grace that started before the foundation of the world and will stretch into eternity. A miracle. Like, I hope that during this pandemic you felt the miracle of I'm saved. Like, no matter what happens, I'm saved by grace. No matter how we look at it, this is a miracle. God has given us new identities clothed in the righteousness of Christ, planned before the foundation of the world, eyes opened by the Spirit with new taste buds that have begun to develop. We long for different things. Now, I love how intentional Peter is with his quotations. This quotation is taken from Psalm 34, 8. So you want to turn to Psalm 34, it's worth turning there to read it with me. And while you're going there, the reason this psalm is so appropriate for Peter to have in his mind is because it's a psalm from when David was in trouble and in exile and a sojourner at that time. How appropriate is that theme for where Peter's going? So Peter is drawn to this psalm as he thinks about this people who are exiles in a foreign land who need to know that God sees them and loves them and will keep them. So our quote is from verse 8, but I want to read verses 4 to 8 to give you a taste of the psalm. So here's Psalm 34, verses 4 to 8. It says, I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, and he saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. What does Peter think these folks need to remember in this time of sojourning in as exiles with persecution right around the corner? He wants them to remember that the Lord has his eye on his people. The Lord delivers them from all their fears and promises that all those who look on him will never be ashamed. He will answer and he will save and he will protect. This is what King David knew about his God in the midst of his wanderings. This is what Peter is calling to mind for his wandering people. This is what you're called to reflect on. Man, when you are feeling unsure and uncertain and not knowing where to go, remember the Lord is good. Remember his promises. Remember what he's done. David remembered these things. And let me just say it, amazingly, we have clearer knowledge than David had. We see more than David saw. So maybe today, before I call you to obey the command to long for more, you need to remember what you've tasted. You need to remember all the goodness of the Lord. So here's what David knew from Psalm 34. What do we know? What do we know as the church looking back at the cross? Well, we know that the Son of God amazingly came into our mess. Like you know your heart. You don't deserve this. He came into our mess. 
He died the death we deserve to die. He lived a perfect life we could never live. Then he rose again and conquered death for us. You're never going to die. No pandemic's going to take you. Ultimately, right, those who believe in Jesus will never die, right? What else did he do? He died for us. We know God did this to maintain his justice and pour out his mercy. We know that we were foreknown before the foundation of the world. We know that the Holy Spirit came to open our eyes to see Jesus as beautiful and not boring, as lovely and not some loser or lunatic, right? We know that the promise is that there is an inheritance. Like, do you believe, 1 Peter, there is an inheritance, imperishable, undefiled, unfading, being kept in heaven for you right now. You are being guarded by faith. We know that God is pursuing us with goodness and mercy all the days of our lives. We know that Jesus has gone to prepare a home for us, but until then, he comes and makes his home in us by the Holy Spirit. We know that God promises to be a very present help in times of trouble, that Jesus has promised to never leave us or forsake us. We know that God is able to complete the good work he started so that we will rise with our Savior and spend eternity in his presence where there is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. Do you know that? Have you tasted that the Lord is good? Even you out in the comments, I see you. Do you know that, that the Lord is good? Have you tasted his goodness? You at home, do you know that? That the Lord is good? Do you know that? Do you know that the Lord is good? I'm just going to say it. I needed to be reminded of this over and over again during these three or four months. I needed to be reminded. I needed to be reminded of it Saturday morning as I was preparing this sermon. This is the easiest thing in the world to forget, as crazy as it is. The easiest thing to forget is that the Lord is good. <laughs> that He's pursuing you with all of His goodness and all of His mercy all of the days of your life. And if we can just get this basic fact, the Lord is good. If, we, if we've tasted, if we believe it, it will be a deep, settling work for our soul. He's good. I can trust Him. I'm His. I can rest in a pandemic. I can rest in overwhelming injustice. I can rest as a pastor. I can rest as a husband and a daddy. Now I'll just say it, right? You have to say stuff about Father's Day on Father's Day. And I'm not good at that, so I'll just say this. Fathers, I can tell you that there's nothing more important for you than to lead your family and those in your sphere of influence in remembering the goodness of the Lord. There's nothing more important that your, your kids and your wife and your small group and your coworkers know, man, this guy believes the Lord is good. Those who believe the Lord is good are a joyful people. You can be joyful in any circumstances. So that's the first one. We have new taste buds. Miraculously new taste buds. Number two, we're commanded to have two or new longings. So if we've tasted the goodness of the Lord, if we've seen this miracle of seeing the goodness of the Lord happen in our hearts, then our job 
our command is to fan the flame and not be content with yesterday's taste. Not be content with yesterday's food. Not be content with what we have seen, but want to see more. So look at verse 2. It says, Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. So if you've tasted the goodness of the Lord in these ways, the command now is to grow up into the salvation you already have. In other words, become who you are. Keep becoming who you are. By the power of the Spirit, we want to rest in the goodness of the Lord, but not rest on our last feeding of Him. We want to abide in Him as His words abide in us. We want to keep drinking because don't you want to grow up? Right? Don't you want to grow up in your salvation? Don't you want to have a mature, steady faith that has grown up? Now, you've either had a newborn baby or you've been around someone at like some get-together who does and you know that babies are not content with the feeding that they had several hours ago. I mean, if there is a, a picture of desperation in the world, it is a newborn infant that has been hungry for more than three seconds. Right? They're not waiting. They're not like, you know, they're not Minnesota nice at the restaurant, right? We haven't experienced this for a while, but like, man, I've been waiting for 45 minutes. I'll wait 10 more. It's okay. They'll seat me eventually. No, babies, after like three seconds of being hungry, no matter what time of night it is, they just scream, right? Like they, maybe you didn't have babies that scream. Maybe that's just us. But they cry, and then they cry louder, and then they scream. They do whatever they have to do to get what they're longing for, and their longing is seen in their persistence. And as they demand and cry out, they drink deeply. They do this over and over and over again. Like you would think, like, won't you learn that we're going to feed you? Like, you, you know it's coming. Like, when have you really been hungry? And they're like, all the time. I'm always hungry. And what we see in this is this miracle of longing. Like, this, this instinct of always wanting more. Now, you wouldn't know that this miracle of growing up was happening from each little feeding that occurred. It's not like you, you see a feeding and then they grow three inches. But if you look at a baby who has cried out time and time again and come to eat time and time again, about nine months later, they look a lot different. They've, they've grown up, right? And, and then as they've cried out more and more, they'll begin to, to walk and, and stumble and run into everything for a few months. And, and what a miracle! <laughs> Crying out more, eating crying out more eating, crying out more eating, and slowly and surely they grow up. And I just want to encourage you in this. Some of us just want to grow up all at once. Right? We're just looking for the silver bullet that will, that will help us grow in maturity, that will make our, our marriage right or fix that relationship or make this circumstance easier. And there just normally aren't silver bullets. Every once in a while, the Lord breaks in with kind of a personal revival. We praise God for that and we pray for that. But most of the time, it's just going to be, Lord, feed me. Lord, feed me. And 10 years later, you look and you go, I'm not quite who I was 10 years ago. Praise God, you've been feeding me moment by moment. And my question for you this morning is, do 
Do you long for Jesus that way? Those of you who have been around newborn infants and seen their desperation to eat, are you that desperate for Jesus? Moment by moment, day by day, are you, are you content with to nibble once in a while while you just consume everything else around you? Now there's some debate here about what this milk exactly is. Is this the Word of God specifically or simply a longing for more of the pure nourishment that accords with our new identity as children of God? In other words, is this a call to simply give ourselves more to the Word of God? Or is it a call more generally to simply give ourselves to all that comes with being new children of God? So you maybe would expand the list to word, fellowship, prayer, fasting, kind of all these things. Most modern commentators lean towards the word, but Karen Jobes pointed me back to Calvin and a bunch of other older guys who, who say that they think it's this more general call. And what I would say is that all of us would agree that the Word is foundational to our growing up into salvation, so I don't want to spend a ton of time debating that. Because, man, if you're someone who's in the Word of God, you're going to be praying. <laughs> if, you're, if you're in the Word of God, you're going to be fasting. If you're in the Word of God, the Spirit's going to work to make you want to be around believers and, and fellowship with Him. What I want to do is I want to ask you, if you've tasted the goodness of the Lord, are you desperate for Jesus as a newborn baby is for pure milk? Are you, are you desperate to know Jesus in all his purity? Like where you feel those impurities in your life, are you just like, Jesus, feed me, purify me. I want your purity. Are you desperate to go to him in the word and just take in his life? Are you desperate to see more of Jesus in the word and cry out for him to feed you as you go? Do you beg Jesus, come, sustain me? I don't know how to lead my family. I don't know how to lead this church through a pandemic. I don't know what I'm doing. Feed me. Help me. I need your wisdom. Do you go to him to help him, to ask him to help you grow? Are you desperate? Like, are you desperate? Like, is it the longing of your soul? Is it what gets you up in the morning? Is it where your mind drifts as you fall asleep at night? Are you desperate to see the glory of God in the face of Christ and say, change me from one degree of glory to the next into the same image through the word and fellowship and prayer? Are you desperate? I mean, my prayer for us, the number one prayer I've been praying for us as a church over this season is, Lord, make us desperate. Lord, refine us refresh us, make us desperate for you. So many of us, me included, need to remember to be desperate infants again in our longing for Jesus. We need to be desperate. Some of us have grown so sophisticated and so distracted that we've forgotten the main thing, to drink deeply from Jesus who is true drink. I mean, don't we see what the Lord is doing in this season of unrest. Don't you see it? I mean, it's a theme throughout the whole Bible. Don't you see him stripping away comforts and conveniences and privileges that you can get back to your first love? Like, again, not here to condemn you. I'm here to invite you into to true life. But if you felt unbelievable fear or unbelievable frustration or all these other emotions, it's showing us where is our hope. Where is our home? Don't you see that pandemics 
and injustice around us and riots and stay-at-home orders and unemployment are meant to make us remember that we're like infants who just need to cry out for someone else to come and help us and feed us and sustain us. Don't you see now that you can't do life on your own? Don't you see that you can't make it on your own? You can't pull yourself up by your bootstraps. It's ridiculous. Don't you see that you can't change things on your own? We're not strong enough. We're not wise enough. We can't grow up on our own. So if you're here this morning, you're watching at home or you're out there where I can see some of you, if you feel broken If you feel weak, if you feel like you wandered in here, you're exactly where you should be all the time. (laughs) You should always feel weak and broken. Suffering does not create dependence like, oh, now we really need you. Suffering just highlights dependence. We're always weak and broken. This is when you remember in these moments, the Lord is good. Don't, Don't run away from the frustration. Don't try to numb it with Netflix. Don't run away from the pain and the fear. Lean into it so that the only place you have to go is the Lord. Remember, he's good. Cry out to him as you go to his word and you pray and you ask him to help you grow up into the salvation you already have. My prayer for us as a church has been just this, that the Lord would remind us that he alone is good. That he alone is trustworthy. That he alone is a reliable hope. That he alone is our true home. And that he would lead us to be a people crying out to him for help. If you've tasted the Lord is good, then isn't this the most beautiful command? Like, we don't like to be told what to do, right? We're finding that out in some ways. We don't don't like that very much. But what a beautiful command. If you've tasted the Lord is good, cry out for more. Like, more goodness, please. More justice, more mercy, more peace, more joy, more of your kingdom power in my life, more of your Holy Spirit, more of your presence, more of you. You're good. I've seen it. You've proven it. You're good. Give me more. Like, don't you want to obey that command? You have to be ridiculous not to want to obey that command if you know that he's good. So set aside time. Read his word. Pray big, desperate prayers that are big enough for the God who did Genesis 1. Like, like ask for breakthroughs. Get help from other believers. Oh, for a church that rests in the deep goodness of God in the midst of trials, but is never content with its last feeding. What would that look like to be a church at rest in the goodness of God, but never content with its last feeding. Here's my Father's Day comment. Fathers, let's lead our families and those in our areas of influence in desperation for Jesus. Like, like, like think about this, dads. Like, if you want to leave a legacy, isn't it the Lord is good and I am desperate for Him? The Lord is good and I am desperate for Him. So let's move to the application. Who we are, become who we are. We're to be a people with new taste buds and new longings. And that should create in us a desire to lay aside past 
ways of selfish sin and spring forth in new ways of self-giving love. That's what's supposed to happen in us as we taste and we long and we go to Him. I preached the sermon in the order I did because I didn't want you to first hear a list of to-dos. I want you to just hear like a list of like, here's what I'm supposed to do, like put off that, put off that. But instead I wanted you to remember what's been done for you that the Lord is good and how desperate for Jesus we should be. And the reason is because if we can see how good he is first, then this list of things we're to put off just becomes obvious. Like they, they don't taste good anymore. We spit them out, not because we're, we're doing the right thing. We spit them out because they taste disgusting to us. It's a, it's a reflex of new taste buds that treasure Jesus. And notice that these sinful emotions and actions we see listed here in verse 1 are all about how we relate to other people in our hearts and with our mouths. It's about what's going on in here. So I could have ended this sermon, and I thought about it, by talking about all the dangers coming at us as a church from, from out there. All, all the impureness trying to come in at us from the culture. And there are all sorts of them. But there's all sorts of ideologies designed to distract from the gospel, deter from the Bible, destroy the family, and distort the truth. You know them. I know them. We stand against them because we long for King Jesus and we gladly submit to all of the commands of the kingdom meant to bring true life. Like It would be so foolish to sympathize with things we know fly in the face of our King and will therefore only bring pain and destruction in our life. We can't sympathize with things that fly in the face of our king and the ways of the kingdom. So I could have ended that way. I just did a little bit. But how I want to end is where Peter ends. So, so, so Peter, like, like, think about this. Think about the culture they're living in. Like, like Nero's coming. He's going to destroy them and do unspeakable things to the church. And Peter reminds them to long for Jesus, reminds them that the Lord is good, and where he sees the threat in these verses is what can happen among us. And where does that come from? Not from outside of us, but from within us. He he sees the threat as among us and from inside of us. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, Slander. Anyone seen any of those things these days? Like, let's just be real, right? Anyone opened up your Facebook? Anyone opened up anything? Anyone turned on the news? Have we seen any of these things? So, so let, me, uh, let, let me ask you some questions. Because it's easy to look out there and go, man, it's really bad out there, but man, in here we're good. It's not what Peter's doing. He's asking us to examine ourselves. So let me ask you some questions. Have you found your heart thinking poorly of your brothers and sisters who don't agree with you? Because we know there's disagreement. Have you been tempted to deceit in hypocrisy as you speak kindly someone to their face or maybe on a Zoom call or whatever you've been doing or a phone call but then question their motives behind their backs with someone else. Question where do they get their information? 
But what, what do they really know? I don't, I don't know if I agree with the article they shared. Are you tempted to present a certain image on Facebook, but hide the mess you are at home or in your heart? Like, like some of us have been wearing masks a lot longer than today when we come to church. A- any hypocrisy going on in your heart that you can just bring to the Lord, just, just put it at the cross. Have you found yourself looking around with, with envy at someone else's situation and tempted to take joy when things don't go so well for them? Like maybe they said something that hurt you, and ever since then you kind of think poorly of them, and when something doesn't go so well, you're kind of happy they got taken down a notch or two. Have you found yourselves spreading stories that you don't know are true or questioning motives when you haven't taken the time to ask people to their face. That, that's close to slander, right? And we, we've seen that stuff. And I'll just say it, the, the devil would love to have us be distracted by what's out there. And I'm not saying it's not important. Remember I had a paragraph about that so you, you knew I would think it's important. But what the devil would love to do is have us distracted and looking out there and just destroy us from the inside out. He would love that. Like, look, they're making progress out there and falling apart from the inside out. This is what happens when we are trying to find our hope and our home in this life. This is what we do. We defend our territory. We fight for control. Our hope and our home are in this life. We look around We evaluate, and in our hearts, and with our mouths, and on our Facebook pages, we don't look like a church whose hope is set on the goodness of the Lord. We look like a church that's insecure and bitter, because we are. (laughs) So so the treasure of our hearts comes out of our mouths. We've all been tempted to play these games. I'll just confess it. Sometimes I'm just like, I'm just going to tell people what I think now. Right, I'm, I'm, I'm done with the fruit of the spirit of self-control. Right, I'm, I'm, I'm done going there. We've all been tempted to play these games. If you've been drinking from the well of 24-7 news stories, opinions, social media, and side conversations, and have seen these things coming out of you, hear me clearly. This is not a moment of condemnation. This is an invitation. This is an invitation into true life, into expelling this ugliness out of you because of a greater love that's inside of you. So Thomas Chalmers wrote a book, one of my favorite books, called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. And I just want to read a little quote from his book. He says, The love of the world cannot be expunged by a mere demonstration of the world's Worthlessness. In other, in other words, you're not just going to look out of the world and go, man, that place is crazy, and stop loving the world. So, so how can you stop loving the world? How can you stop counting on this place to be your hope and your home? How can you do that? Like, what's going to change it so that malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander aren't in you? Here's what he says. But may it not be supplanted, that is replaced, by the love of that which is more worthy than itself. So the only way to drive out all this love of the world and all the ugliness with it is you find something more worthy of your love. Have you tasted that the Lord is good? Have you tasted that the Lord is enough? 
Have you tasted that he is, he is showing you that he's satisfying above all other things? Remember how good the Lord is again right now. Drink deeply from the river of his delights. Receive his invitation to find rest for your soul as you go to him. Here are some suggestions. Don't check social media until you've met with your king. Just don't do it. Just close it until you've met with your king and remembered the Lord is good. Don't speak words until you've heard from your king, until you've been in his word. And don't check the bad, destructive news until you remember the good news of your king. Isn't the Lord good? We would be good to remember that. And listen, this is not mainly about us. This is about the glory of God. That's what's at stake. It's about loving each other in such a way that the world would know we are disciples of Jesus. Like, like a group of people with such different socioeconomic identities and, and ethnic identities and, and interests and, and all these things, all these differences, opinions, radically united in Jesus. Right? I mean... That's what speaks to the world. It doesn't speak to the world for like, we just all think the same thing about everything. Well, yeah, then of course you like being around each other. But in our radical differences, the supremacy of Jesus is seen when we are radically united in him. And that only happens if you've tasted that the Lord is good and he's enough. So blood-bought family, taste and see that the Lord is good. Run to him over and over again to grow so that we can become the blood-bought family we already are that proclaims to the world, the Lord is good. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. And we can do it from a deep unity in Jesus that actually makes it seem real to the people we say it to. Let me pray. So Father, we confess that we don't always long for you like we should. We're not as desperate for you as we should be. We forget your goodness. We forget your kindness. We forget your faithfulness. We're distracted and out of our hearts comes all sorts of ugly stuff. God, would you help us love Jesus and replace the ugliness that comes from loving the world and being protective and being defensive with a deep satisfaction in the goodness of the Lord. Father, thank you that you've forgiven us in Jesus for all of our foolishness already. So this is not a moment of condemnation. It is an invitation to come to the table to eat and drink again of the best food and the best drink that is our Savior Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, 
spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.